I remember being diagnosed with type 1 diabetes when I was 13 years old. I can picture the doctor's office, the ICU, and still taste the hospital food. But you know that story about how if you drop a frog into a pot of boiling water, it'll jump right out? But if you put it in cool water and slowly raise the temperature, it won't notice until it's too late? That's kind of what living with type 1 feels like to me. Sure, there are a lot of changes that first day, all seemingly revolving around needles of various sizes. But all of the real baggage of the disease built up slowly over time. And I didn't notice how much there was for myself until I saw the changes happening to my Aunt Laura, one after another. And as you have also heard over the last two years of this show. When you have type 1 diabetes, You think about it all the time, probably without even realizing that you're thinking about it. Maybe it's how you check your blood sugar the first thing every morning, how you automatically count carbs when you see food, or how your fashion style has changed to always include a bag or jacket with pockets to hold all of your supplies. So now, after a year of being at home during the COVID pandemic, Aunt Laura is going out into the world again and we're seeing all the changes from her second year with diabetes hitting her all at once. And as you'll hear, it can be pretty exhausting. From Beta Cell, this is Thicker Than Water. I'm your host, Craig Steuben. Last time we talked, you hadn't been going out and doing things, right? Right. But you got both vaccine shots. How did it feel to get them finally? I think it was more of a feeling of some relief. Like, I don't have to worry about it as much. We're going to go to our first baseball game tomorrow, and it's still not full capacity. And I bet we're going to see people that are going to wear masks. So I think I'm going to always have a mask to decide whether or not. So I would say it was a nice way to have some extra comfort level. But I still think, yeah, sometimes I'm still on a cautious alert. But, you know, I'm not worried about it. So that's a good thing. You know, you you have to start doing things. (laughs) Otherwise. Otherwise you're just existing. Well, yeah. Last time we had talked, you'd just seen your new endocrinologist. Mm -hmm. And one of the things he emphasized was loosening up a little bit. Right. Do you feel like you've done that at all? A little bit. I'm not as worried now about eating something like I found gluten-free Oreos. So if my blood sugar is like at 80, I'll have an Oreo, (laughs) which I never would have done. And if I go up to like 130, I'm like, oh, well, I went up to 130. It's not as scary. For my birthday, I found a gluten-free cake, but it was like strawberries and whipped cream. And I hadn't been eating things like that that were so high sugar. So I'm still not really good at guesstimating, but I haven't done it long enough to know how the sugar is going to affect my blood sugar. What I do notice is a lot of times it goes, whoop, you know, goes high and it comes right down. So guessing for that was kind of different. I've only taken extra insulin between meals a few times for like a piece of cake 
or something if we're somewhere and I want to take a little extra. It does sound like you've loosened up a lot from yeah, when you were first from the diagnosed. First days, right. It's funny because I called the ballpark because I wanted to know, well, one, they have new bag regulations and I don't have a medical bag, like an officially looking medical mm. bag, but I have a clear bag that I put everything in. All my stuff is in clear little bags. I don't care who knows I'm a diabetic. So I've got my insulin in one, I've got my meter and I've got my low snacks and we're not supposed to bring food into the ballpark. So I said to her, okay, I want to know, am I going to have any hassles bringing in my, and she's like, no, 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 you shouldn't. If you say it's a medical bag. But then I said to her, what's open for concessions? Because not everything's open. Because I feel the bigger hassle in my life is a gluten-free than the diabetes. And she laughed and she goes, well, I would have thought the diabetes would be worse. I said, oh, no, <laughs> gluten-free is worse. <laughs> Do you think she'd ever gotten a call like that before? She was very nice, very helpful. She wanted to be reassuring. I asked because you know what? And this is the way people learn. When you call and you say, hey, you know, you never know if she's in a meeting sometime and someday somebody talks about this stuff. And she says, well, well I got a call about this. And you know, I mean, that's kind of my help to change things. I think that's great. But say if I were going to visit California and I'm going to see a game there, mm -hmm. I would look on their site to see you should have a list of all the foods you serve, and especially in California. I would think California would have gluten-free, <laughs> Oh yeah, we do. Right? I believe in calling and saying, hey, what do you have? And let them know that people are looking at the menus and talking about that stuff. It's interesting because I think that a lot of people with type one, I don't, I don't know what the word is, I don't think would be ashamed to ask or afraid, but just wouldn't want to. And I don't really know why that is. I don't know if it's because so many of us like to, to feel like we're in control mm -hmm. and we don't need to have help or we're afraid if we ask something, then we're going to, you know, I still haven't gotten those comments of, what do you mean you can eat that? When she said, oh, I, I can't imagine it's harder to find gluten-free rather than a diabetic because she's probably thinking, well, you can't have any of the fun stuff at the ballpark. Well, I can have a Twizzler. I can have ice cream. I can have that stuff if I want to go ahead and take the insulin for it. So I think it's still that trying to, to educate people, maybe. It does come with us with a certain stigma, I guess. I also write people. They're not too happy when I write them. When like if they're they're doing a gluten-free Instagram people, you know, they have a book. And I'll say, how come you don't have any nutritional informational facts? And they're like, well, you know, we're not, I'm not gonna, I said, are you gonna have that in your next cookbook? No. I'm like, well, why not? I mean, <laughs> I don't expect it to be like exact. Okay. I understand it's a pain, but all it takes is a person sitting at a computer, plugging in the recipe. There's programs for it, comes back, you know, but I write companies and say, hey, what do you mean a serving is seventh eighths of a cup? What is that? <laughs> right? Yeah. That's ridiculous. That, and that was, I'm like, that, that's not, or are you looking at it and it just says serves four. That isn't a measurement. And I think that's hard for diabetics, especially if it's a food you've never had before. And especially gluten-free, because I feel like it's a little different because it's rice. It's so much rice. Mm -hmm. 
and it's processed so differently than wheat. So, yeah, I'll write a note saying, hey, do you <laughs> sometimes I do. Like Trader Joe's gluten-free always shows, when she shows a new product, I think it's she, the nutrition label. So I wrote her and said, thank you so much, so much for showing the nutrition label. Because then I look at it and I say, oh, that's a product I would consider buying. So it, it's just wanting information. What was interesting about you being diagnosed is that you had the experience of being a registered dietitian. So you understood nutrition, how to read a food label, what a carb was. Right. But do you think your experience living with diabetes has impacted the way you interact with those nutrition labels? They say you don't understand about having kids until you have kids, or you don't understand about being married until you get married. I mean, and it's the same thing. Even before you were diagnosed, I was counseling people. I mean, I knew it was this huge life change. And it's hard to change. When you've been drinking soda your whole life, or you've been eating cookies every day of your life, I mean, it's a huge thing. But I think being a dietitian now, it, it kind of made me look even further about where we miss the boat about trying to help people or counsel people. Mm. Like maybe the nutrition labels should be a huge amount of time when you're counseling a diabetic. Like this is what you have to look for. You have to look for the serving size. And when you have the serving size, you have to look. And it gets confusing too, because even I get confused sometimes. Pasta will just tell you so many ounces. Okay, dry or cooked? I don't know. If you don't know anything, that could be very intimidating. Yeah, and is it eight ounces in a cup? Is it eight ounces weight? Right. right? It's all the same units, but it's different. It's different. Yeah. So, so it gets to be very confusing. You've been doing it a long time. I mean, you don't really think about if you had a, something your sister made, a cupcake, you just kind of say, okay, it's going to be this. Yeah. Right. I think anytime you eat something, it's kind of a leap of faith. Yeah. It's always this leap of faith of trusting right. what they tell you and then trusting you're guessing it right and, and how it's going to impact you're eating you. eating with it. That's the thing I realized today, I think. You can never eat anything when you're a diabetic without thinking about it. Hmm. Even if my blood sugar is 80 and I go, oh, maybe I'd like to have an Oreo. But I had to, I had to think about it. <laughs> if I wasn't diabetic, I would have just had the Oreo. I wouldn't have thought about it in the way I'm thinking about it in regard to blood sugar. Was that the first time you, you had that conscious thought? You know, I've had that before because sometimes you'll see people post on Instagram how many times you think a day when you're a diabetic. Mm -hmm. I don't think I think that much. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know if that's good or bad. But no, I mean, today I did think about it because I had this one you know, a cookie and you think about what could I have, what couldn't I have? I'll tell you what I struggle with now, and I talked to my doctor about this, is especially now with nice weather, you know, if I eat breakfast or eat lunch. And then I end up outside doing gardening or I go to watch my grandchildren. I will drop 
really fast. So like even on the days I watch the kids, I set my alarm to 90. So I know at 90, I'm starting to go down and then I'll eat something. And I said to him, okay, so my logic is I'm eating more on those days <laughs> and I'm not worrying about it. So I'm still learning how to do that. Because the thing that frustrates me is you drink the apple juice or you take something and of course you're going to go way up and you're going to drop again. So like I'm trying to figure out a combination of get it back up and then maybe eat a half a kind bar. That's like a lot of protein or eat a half of a good foods granola bar so that there's something that's more sustainable in there. And that's the kind of thing you can only really learn by doing. Right. Yeah. And it's always different every time anyway. So, yeah, I mean, all you can do is take precautions and say, okay, like I said, the Dexcom. That's an easy thing to change on that day. Just make it so I know I'm not waiting till 70. I'm getting it at 90. And I'll go ahead and do something. It's alerting you before you are low, as opposed right. to having to deal with being low. We can talk about Dexcom now. And I don't know if you've had a lot of issues with it tanking. Oh, like I mean, with a sensor, like it just errors totally out? Does, it, it goes, it, all of a sudden it goes, and it's down. <laughs> And then you're, and this is up, we're off for three hours. And then it's back on. And then an hour and a half later, it goes back down again. And it seems to always happen at night. Drives me nuts. So far, I only submit for a new one when it's done it like four times in a row in an eight hour period. And not even for the three hours. I'm just like, something's wrong with it. If it's doing this four or five times in an eight-hour period, you need to set a new one. Yeah. And they do. The one time the guy told me, oh, we only give it to you if it's three or four days left. I'm paying for 10 days. Like, don't give me nine. Well, see, this is the thing. This is why if I have to take it off, I'm like, you have to replace this. It's funny because when Dexcom's working, it lifts this burden, right? You know, like there's something watching you and you can just check it whenever you want. But as soon as it stops working or insurance doesn't want to cover it, it's so much more of a burden than just testing your fingers were. And that's the other thing, you know, I was covered for it and then I'm not covered for it. It's kind of crazy because now I'm on an arthritis medication that is a lot of money. (laughs) They'll cover that. (laughs) <laughs> and it's more than a three-month supply of Dexcom for just one month of this medication. Wow. And, okay, I know because it's a medication, but the other one keeps me alive. <laughs> so we're just going to keep raising a ruckus about it. Yeah. Eventually now I'll meet my deductible and then they'll pay part of it. But until I meet the deductible, they won't. I love on the claim where it says, Here's some tips on how to make this bill lower next time. <laughs> like, It'll be lower if you covered it. <laughs> and you're making me go to this company. So there are no tips. Yeah. I mean, that's the whole issue with insulin affordability. Luckily, I can afford, I have healthcare and the Dexcom. Yeah, it's a luxury. But technically, how many studies have you read that said most diabetics are so much healthier when they have a continuous glucose monitor. Yeah. I think psychologically it helps. 
I think it helps you with your management of your blood sugar. I think it helps you learn more about your carbs and how you process them and your body and your eating. And, and there's so many things it teaches you, but they still don't think that that's a necessary item. I was going to tell you that, you know, the, the Nick and his brothers are going to be playing Summerfest. I oh. said to his uncle, maybe Craig will come and we can stand there with a sign during the whole <laughs> <laughs> Would you do that? No. Why not? He would probably throw us out. They'd probably get security <laughs> to throw them out. And none of his fans would know, have any clue why we were doing it. It would be a good podcast episode, though. It would be a good podcast episode. But can you imagine? You know what? He's going on tour. And you know there's probably some people. Some people that follow you are a little crazy. I could see them going. <laughs> and holding up a sign saying. I think you should do it. No, I don't think so. I'm not spending all that money. It's a lot of money to get those tickets. I'll, I'll buy your ticket if, if you take a sign. <laughs> so you've had type 1 a little over two years now. Is it what you thought it would be when you were diagnosed? You know what? I think when you're diagnosed, and especially that was before I had the Dexcom, it was very intimidating. I think it was scary because, like, I remember I was wa watching Kelvin, and then I would check my blood sugar because I had to do the blood prick, and it would be low. And I'd be like, oh, my gosh, I dropped so much. When you don't understand it, it was more scary. Now I'm not so scared. I mean, you have fleeting thoughts of, especially if you see a story or something of somebody who didn't know they were low, passed away. I think that kind of gives you a little bit more of a scare. What I didn't anticipate back then was having the other stuff happen to me. The gluten sensitivity, the arthritis flare-ups, and I think I didn't anticipate that one diagnosis led to two other autoimmune things. I'm not depressed. It just makes you just feel like ugh, another thing mm -hmm. <laughs> that I have to deal with versus if I had just the diabetes that might be pretty good if I had that right now. You know, I mean, just that. So I did not anticipate that kind of road down my health because I'd always been in really good health. So I think the diabetes was scary at first, manageable, but then I got hit with two other things. You just have to keep trying to adjust to figure out how to keep, you know, moving on. Is it hard to stay positive? I don't think I'm, I'm negative. I think some days you just get tired of it, which I'm sure you do too. You're just tired of the thinking about it so much. Tired of like tonight for dinner, I had to have my gluten-free noodles and my other noodles because I don't have your uncle eating gluten-free stuff. It's a lot of thought. It's a lot when you're older <laughs> to change. Versus when you're younger and you could kind of have more energy. So I think it's kind of a little different for me to be dealing with stuff at this point in my life. But I wouldn't say that I'm, eh, I'm not depressed. I just think some days I get tired. <laughs> Is there anything you do to 
or you found that helps with that tiredness? Yeah, I try to do things I like to do. So like I'm still doing my stitching embroidery. I'll still bake. It was good that my husband worked out of the house all this time because there was activity coming and going for the pandemic. You know, and then now I have like my family, your mother. I talk to you and my grandkids. It's a good life. I'm okay with it. I I still think there's something else I want to do, but I still don't figure out what it is. Maybe some form of advocacy. Maybe your advocacy thing could be going to Summerfest with a sign (laughs) for Nick Jonas. I don't need all these teenagers attacking me. There are going to be a lot of diabetic kids there. You think? Well, they all write in and say, you helped my child. He has your poster in the wall. and Right? Yeah. Well, you can be there to, to show them the truth. Than Water is a production of Beta Cell. As always, a very special thanks to my Aunt Laura. This amazing cover of Lean On Me you're hearing is by Nina Raganese. Follow Beta Cell on social media at Beta Cell Podcast, and you can follow Aunt Laura on Instagram at Aunt1D underscore Laura. If you appreciate what we do here on Beta Cell, you can financially support us by joining our Patreon. There's a link to that at betacellpodcast.com. I'm Craig, and this is Thicker Than Water. You have to bear that you can.